speak to 12 and 13, because uh, there's kind of a there's kind of two messages in verse 11 through 13. Uh, there's one main theme that goes through there, but there's kind of two messages that I've kind of broken it down into because this always you, proper memory and proper understanding. I call this gospel remembrance, proper memories of our former state, and. Uh, Paul illustrates this when he's speaking of blessings. He's speaking of remembering, you know, proper remembrance. And I think if there's anything that God's people need to learn, it's how to properly remember things. I mean, in a biblical way. Uh, because just allowing your memories and your thought process to go any way that it wants to concerning the past is not healthy. It's very damaging. And the Bible teaches us that there, even in our remembrances, even in our memories, we are commanded to remember things in a certain way that is profitable. It's just, so there, there's even our thought process. God, when 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 we're to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bring every thought uh, into the obedience of Jesus Christ, right? Every thought under the obedience of Christ. When we're when we're to do that, it means that when you go back and you look at your former state, because what I called this was memories of our former state when we were lost, or even you could even apply this to how you look at the past, how you look at things that you've been through in life in the past. There's a proper way for us to think about those things as a Christian, because you and I are not supposed to live in the failures of the past. We're not to live that our lives that way. We're not to, we're not to focus on them. It's unprofitable. When we do look back, there's there's examples of how we're supposed to do that, in order to make it so we don't drag ourselves down, or in other words, that we don't get morbid with our thought process. Uh, it's very important that you, some people have more of a problem with this than others, okay? People that are more feeble-minded, people that are, are more prone to depression and, and, and anxieties and, and you know, post-traumatic stress disorders and things like that, they will, and they will look back at things and if they're not careful, they'll allow kind of that motor to run on its own and not put a stop to it or not put it on the right way. So then their mind just keeps running. Your mind is like a motor and it will keep going and going and going and going and going. But the Bible says that you and I are to redeem the time. So you and I are to take our, our hearts and our minds and we're to direct them, not to allow them to direct us. One of the problems that happens is, 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 and I've talked about this many times, is we become very passive in our thought process. And if you do become passive in your thought process, you're going to do two things. One, you're going to be unproductive. You're just not going to be productive because you're allowing your mind to run and it's running you. You're not running it. It is not productive to live in the past. It is absolutely the most unproductive thing that anyone ever does to live in the past. Yeah, but this happened to me, and I made mistakes here, and I failed here, and I did this here, and I did... So what? God forgives. We move on. We focus on the future. We don't live in the past. We don't live on past mistakes. Your life is not damned because you, you were lost and dead in sins before, or you were a failure, and you failed, and you did wrong. Uh, that's your life isn't over because of that. You can't look back and, 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 and equate everything in your life to your failures. It's a wrong way to look at things. And if you, if you continue down that pathway, you'll become very unproductive in your Christian life. Because you have to remember this one thing. Your life is forward, not behind. I'm going to say that to you again. It's, it's a very profound statement, Jacob. It's very profound. Your life is ahead of you, not behind you. Right? Isn't that profound? Micah, that's deep, isn't it? That's, that's, like, that's like deep fried chicken deep, isn't it? Like, right? That's, that's pretty deep, isn't it? Very profound statement. But you'd be surprised how if you practically applied that to every day, you'd actually get something done positive. You, if you live in, in, in those negativities, you'll drag yourself down. And God doesn't want you to do that. It's not, it's not, it is not profitable. It is against God's direction and his command for us to press forward. 
and and I, I, I can't and I, I'm, I, I've talked about this before, but in the text, it just stuck out to me so much that I could not let it go. We needed to talk about it and very specifically about the proper way to remember things, the proper way to deal with things here. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11. Now, we just got finished with, with verse number 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. For we are, that's right now, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, he's speaking to the saved now, those that are born again by the Spirit of God. Now you're to walk in them. This is what you are now. Now, now he's going he's gonna to go back a little bit. He's going to have you go back a little bit here. And he's going to say, wherefore, remember. So he wants you to remember. He's, he's telling the Ephesian people, the Ephesian Christians there, I, wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, that's who you were. You're not now. You and I are not defined by what nation we are from. We're not defined by, whether we are Jew or Gentile, bond or free, we are not defined by that. We are defined by being in Christ. He is speaking to his church now. He's not talking about, you know, if I go and I have to pay, I say, well, I'm, I'm neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, so I'm not paying my taxes. No, 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 no. That's not what he's, that's, that's not what he's, that's not what he's saying, okay? What he is saying is as it applies to the church, it, it, it makes no difference as to whether they were Jews or Gentiles. That was important because of the setting. The time is that the churches were largely uh, from Jerusalem and Antioch, and they were largely Jewish. And then the Jews were getting saved, but now Greeks were getting saved. Now all of these people were getting saved, and they're all in one church, and it's, they all look around at each other, and they say this, they kind of have the same thing as you do here. They look around and say, now how in the world are we going to all get along? Because we all have different opinions about things. We all have different likes. We all have different personalities. We all have different backgrounds. Some of us have red hair. Um, you know, we have, we, have all, we have all these issues, right? Right? We have all these issues to get through. Red hair being one of the hardest. But, I mean, it, it, right? We have all these things. Some of us have no hair. Yeah, some of us are balding, that's right. Some of us have a lot of white hair, used to have black hair. I looked at my pictures before and like, it's like, well, where'd that guy go? <laughs> what happened to that guy's hair? It's all white, right? Some of us have stashes. I mean, I'm talking to the men, okay? <laughs> Just to clarify, all right? I don't wanna make anybody mad at me. Uh, but <laughs> be careful, all right? But we, you know, we have, so how do they all get along, right? How do they, so he's telling them, remember who you were before? Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Now we're not going to get into verse 12, but we'll read it for sake of context here. That at the time you were without Christ, we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, one man said it in, in commenting on this text. He said, if you want to describe the Ephesian people or the Gentile world, you would describe them as without Christ. That's how you would describe them. So you would describe today the world, you describe them as without Christ. They're without Christ. That's who they are. We, are, we have Christ. We that are saved and children of God, we have Christ. They are described as without Christ. That's who they are. That at the times that in times pat that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Without Christ, strangers. We'll get into that next week. Having no hope and without God in the world. Wow, that's powerful, isn't it? He's describing us before salvation, right? But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. 
That's powerful, isn't it? That gets us into the atonement. We'll get into that next week a little bit more. But what I want to talk to you about here tonight is proper memories of our former state, understanding the, the proper way to remember things, the principles of that. As Paul relates to it as, you know, even the blessings of God and being a thankful people for what we are now and what we were before and being thankful for that. Father, please bless us now and help us. We thank you for your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, there are many things in Scripture that we are told to remember, and all of us think at different times we have good memories. But this is more dealing with spiritual memories, the spiritual way. Your mind is so connected to your heart and your, and, and your spirit, okay, your, your, your spiritual life, that when your mind doesn't work right, uh, it quickly affects your spiritual walk. So it, it has effects. So if you have a broken mind uh, and, and things aren't working right or they don't work right or they, they're faulty, then that affects your spiritual life. I find that most of the people that struggle from, you know, anxiety issues or depression issues or, you know, kind of more of a melancholy spirit, they will have doubts about their salvation. They'll greatly doubt or, or what the Bible, the New Testament would call feeble-minded. They will, they will have great doubts about their, their salvation. Now, it doesn't mean that there's a thing wrong with them, by the way, spiritually. It just means that their thinker is broke. And on this side, it won't be fixed. I can just tell you that. There's not a pill you can take unless it's really funny ones where you just drool a lot and you can't do anything besides sit there and drool that that will change that okay and you don't want those but what it, but what it does do what what does happen is you can control it and lead it by the spirit i can walk by this book and think properly because i have the mind of christ so i don't have to i cannot control the things that come into my mind i can't stop that I can't stop, you know what, I can't stop it when my brain literally melts. I, I couldn't stop that, okay? I, 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 can't, I, can't make, I can't shut that off. I, there was nothing I could do about it. it you know, it, once it happens, if it does happen, I can only control my outward how I deal with things, how I, how I respond to those things. I can't control what comes my way. I can deal with what, how I respond to it when it does. Do you understand? So it's not a failure for it to happen. It's a failure if I give into it. I fail if I give into those things that, uh, that mess with my mind or that, that you know, uh, trigger my mind or mess with my If I give into that despair, if I give in and over to those things and it changes my behavior and my behavior becomes sinful or, or that then I am wrong. But the mere presence of those things is no spiritual failure. It's a mind that is broken. It's a mind that doesn't operate correctly. And some of you have never been through it, and I thank God you have never been through it, and I hope you never, ever, ever, ever I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And I have a lot of those, but I, but I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy for that to happen to them. There is nothing more torturous and terrible than to have your mind turn on you. There's just nothing worse than that. Uh, well, hell would be worse than that. But there's not much else worse than that, right? Than, than, than that. You, you can't even imagine the, what, what, it, what, a, what, what people go through when they deal with those things. Okay, so anyway, I, but the Bible tells us God wants us to use the faculties of our minds uh, to chamber in our minds the thoughts of what we once were before we were saved. You are to think about your life before you were saved. You are to think about that at times. You're to look back on that. It's very important to have a positive reflection on what we were before the day we were saved. It, it is important to do that. It helps us to remember what God saved us from. These comparisons, they help strengthen our faith and assure our hearts of the work of God. Our minds and memories, they are broken. They do not work right. Some have a better mind than others to remember things. But the older we get, the more we forget. It is important to keep our minds sharp and active, though, as well. You, you should always be reading. 
you should be reading. Force your, you say, I don't like reading. Force yourself to read. The older you get, the more you should force yourself to read. Do not stop reading. Your mind works when you read. It needs to read. Don't sit and watch a cell phone and watch YouTube videos till you're dumber than a box of rocks. I mean that. Get in and read. Your mind has to read the Word of God, read Scripture, read good biblical books, read good historical books. Keep your mind active and busy. Don't ever let that go. Don't stop. Well, it's laborious for me to get through it. I don't care. Sometimes it's laborious for people to go to the bathroom, but they have to do it. All right? So do it anyway. doesn't matter if it's laborious. All right, Jacob? <laughs> it is. I think Jacob missed me. I think he did. He's... <laughs> I'll be starting a laughing revival here now. Uh-oh, there goes, there goes Andrew. Oh, she lost it. Just don't be falling out of me now. All right, anyway. Uh, these comparisons, though, they do help strengthen our faith. They do. They help assure our hearts that the work of God, are, that our minds and memories, they can work in a positive way, and they should. Paul is here calling the Ephesians to activate their memory, to use it in a healthy exercise, a good spiritual exercise. His call to spark their memories is a good, is a good spiritual work for the mind. He wants us to be focused, not morbid. Some people, uh, their reflections become uh, morbid. We're to look back, but he has a purpose for their looking back. He wants them to remember what they were so they can see what they are now. That's how you're to meditate and reflect on the past. You're not to engage in morbid memory exercises. It's not profitable. Don't do it. And continually, you know, you're not to continually mine out every error and every fault and every terrible memory that you can think of. That isn't profitable. It's morbid. And it's damaging to a healthy walk in the Lord. When I'm called to use my memory, it's to remember what I was so I can better focus on what I am in Christ now. That's the purpose of it. You bet you didn't think that you could actually sin by, by looking back and becoming morbid with it in, in, in former memories, but you can. Because number one, you're not redeeming the time. You're wasting it and squandering it. It's not profitable meditation. It's unprofitable meditation. It's putting you, it's discouraging you. It's bringing you down. It's depressing you. It's causing you not to be productive in your present life because you're, you're, you're morbidly looking back at the past. So I have to forcefully use my mind and walk in the Spirit, and I have to forcefully obey the Scriptures and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book on spiritual depression, one of his chapters that he talked about in there, and I, I, I preached and taught you through that. This was long ago, uh, about five years ago, maybe? Maybe five years ago in 2018 or something like that. I talked about one of the things he said, he said that bothers people the most. There, there's a number of things, and he said one of those things was that one sin. There was something that they did, and it was in their past, and they, they, they keep condemning themselves over and over again for it. And they live in that former sin and they live in that past. And they're just, they're, they think that they must not be saved because they did this. And they live on that. That's not profitable. First of all, it isn't biblical. Because the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's, it's, it's not biblical for you to go back and dwell on things that, that God has forgiven you for. So, well, how do I know God's forgiven me? Well, because he said if you confess it, he'll forgive you. Right? He didn't say torture yourself and I'll forgive you. But I can't forgive myself. Well, who said you had to? Who are you anyway? <laughs> right? God is the faithful one to, to forgive us. So don't worry about you forgiving you. You, you. you be more focused on the truth. See, here's what happens. If I came up to you and I asked you, and I, I came to each and every one of you, and I said this to you, I said, look, I, I, 
I did this in my past and it really bothers me, uh, you know, I must not be saved because of that. Well, every single one of you would tell me, now, pastor, that's not true because the Bible says that God forgives sins. See, you're believing something in your mind that you don't truly believe, right? You don't believe that there's a sin that God can't forgive, do you? Is anybody here believe there's a sin that, that, that Christ's blood cannot cover and wash away? Of course not. You would tell somebody, no, no, Jesus saves and, and his blood, his atonement is what made peace with God through Jesus Christ. There's, well, I know, but you let yourself think that in your mind. So you're actually, you have to straight, you, you, have, you have two problems. One, you're letting your feelings run you and thinking back. Two, you're believing false doctrine in your mind that you would never tell anybody else. But you're harboring that false doctrine in your head. Well, I don't believe that. I mean, somebody said, well, how could, if I sin, then I'll lose my salvation. Or this, if I did this sin, it would, it would make me lose. Well, you don't believe that. Well, why are you believing it in your mind then? See, see how that works? You're, you're believing, well, you don't believe that. Because if I asked you what you believe about God's forgiveness, what you believe about the, the blood of Jesus Christ, what you believe, you would tell me, well, I believe this. I believe what God's, well, you need to apply that to yourself then in that situation that you're in, that you're struggling with in your mind and your heart with that, and you need to believe God. And you need to be like, okay, well, that's what God's word says. That's called, that's called logic. It's called scriptural, it's called scripturally being logical, scripturally, and it's applying the scriptures and it's having proper doctrine. Because otherwise you're holding a secret doctrine that you publicly don't believe. And that's why when I talk to people, when they go through those things, I say that to them. Well, do you believe that there's a sin that Jesus doesn't forgive for? Well, no. That he's not able to forgive? No, I don't believe that. Well, well, then why are you holding that in your heart then? Why are you allowing your, your, your mind to go morbid and to think things that aren't true? You're believing something that's not true. And then they have to take that back and they say, well, yeah, that's right, I'm not. That's not, because that's not practical. So sometimes good logic defeats Satan's. Uh, there's nothing wrong with using good, because Satan will use those things. There's nothing wrong with using logic against Satan. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's actually very practical. Because, see, I find that people need to practically apply things. They've already got their feelings so attached to something, and, and it's so, they're, they're so dogmatic about it that there's something wrong because of their emotions are running them in that sin or in that thing. That they're so, so you need to use logic then, scriptural logic. Not, not the world's logic, but scriptural logic. What, what God's, well, I mean, that's not what the Bible says. That's what I tell them when they tell me things, when their, their feelings and their emotions are kicked up and they're, 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 they're kicking themselves and they're down. I, well, that's not logical, is it? I mean, you don't believe that, do you? Because I, I read in the scriptures, well, this is what the Bible says. Which do you believe? Do you believe that or do you believe what this says? Well, I believe what this says. Okay, we'll move on then. You've got to move on. See, that's applying good principles, uh, good memory. It's profitable to do that, okay? It's very important because some minds have a terrible negativity bias. That they go straight back to terrible things and they tend to focus on them until they become morbid and distraught. Paul is showing us under the inspiration of the Spirit of God how to have a healthy reminiscence of the past. You know, I'm focusing a little bit more on this than others may and the use of the memory that is in the mind because I've realized very painfully through depression and through discouragements and some other things that happened with my mind that even in the remembrance we must be disciplined or we can become very morbid. Discipline is in order when a mind runs amok. It is, it is it, you, you have to be disciplined. It, it it, you have to take the emotions out of it because you already, well, maybe I'm not sorry. Enough. No, you ain't got a problem being sorry. You're real sorry. I can see it. Okay, it ain't a problem with sorrow. But what it's a problem is, is that you're letting your emotions run you. That's, that's not healthy. And what you need is clear, plain, rigid, soldier logic. That's what you have to have. Why? Because your emotions are running you.
So you have to have straightforward, in your face, soldier on instructions. And you have to give them to your heart. That's like David when his heart was all over the place and his thought process was all over the place. He said, why art thou cast on, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted me? Hope thou in God. He commanded his heart, right? He searched his heart diligently, then he commanded his heart, and he gave instructions to his heart. And that's what you have to do in those situations. You have to. After simple repentance and confession of sin to the Lord, we must move on from things wrong and determined through the Spirit and the power of God never to live the way we once did or in the sin that we did live in or commit. And also you must understand that our thinkers can get stuck on like an infinite loop at times and they have to be corrected by pure logic. Pure, rigid logic. It's the only thing that, that you can do because, again, everything's running. Everything, your emotions are running high. Your thoughts are running away from you. It takes pure and rigid, disciplined logic to get through that. It's kind of like, I'll give you an example. When my children, some of my children, when they were little, a lot of them are still little, <laughs> but when they, when, they were, when they were really little, I think it was Lucius and maybe Mandy even. I, I remember Lucius when he was little. He was probably a little bit older than Gideon. He was probably... Oh, I don't know, maybe eight or ten or eight, eight years old or something like that. Yeah, a lot older than Gideon. But like eight years old or something like that, I think. And I remember like uh, him getting hurt or, or something like that. And, he, you know, he's very upset, you know, and, and it's, you know, it, it hurts. And, and he's, uh, but I, I slowed him down. I said, look at me. You need to calm down and you need to focus and listen to me. Calm down. Look at me and calm down giving him direct I do that with my girls sometimes too with that no calm down and look at me focus on what I'm saying to you I'm not yelling at him I'm not putting a bunch of emotion there I'm being straightforward and logical and dealing with it that's the same thing you have to deal with women when they become hysterical I'm not saying they're like a child. I'm saying their emotions are out of, you have to go, no, listen. Calm down and listen to what I'm saying. And that's not a slight. Women are emotional beings, that's just how it is. And, and sometimes men just have to be firm and kind, but you have to stop the hysteria and get them to think logically. Because they're not, right? And you have to calm them down. And that's the best way to do that. Well, the same thing goes for your mind when it operates that way. You do the same thing with your mind. The same exact thing. Nope. Calm down. Think logically. That's not the way it is. This is what God's word says. This is the truth. And that's what I'm going to believe. And I focus it. That's me taking, taking charge of my mind through the power of the Spirit and not allowing my mind and my emotions to run. It's discipline. And it's much needed when hysteria is there. And it's, your wife might get mad at you if you do it sometime, but that's okay. Hey, I make women mad all the time. Right? I make them mad all the time. Nobody's looking at me now. They're like, not me. I'm never mad. <laughs> Lee is. He's bewildered right now. He's like, what? You make women mad? No way. The lady that asked me if I ever take a breath. I purposely took no breath while I was talking to her all the way through. I was like, did I say no? No. I remember. <clears throat> anyway, the, in these verses, in these verses, the apostle proceeds in his account of the miserable condition of these Ephesians by nature when they were lost. Wherefore, remember, you should remember what you've been and compare it with what you are now in order to humble yourselves and to excite your love and thankfulness to God. 
you should go back and you should think about what the Lord saved you from. You ought to reflect on that. That's why giving our testimony is important at times, to give our testimony to others and to let them know what God has done in our hearts. Let, what, let them know what God has done in our lives, how he's changed us and made us new creatures, what we used to be before and what we, what we are now, right? What the Lord has done. You that are younger, that were saved at a young age, you ought to give your testimony. And it's important that you share. By the way, you that were saved and didn't live a life of sin should make sure that young people the young people that you're around, the young ladies, the young men, others that, that you're around, that they know that God is able to keep them. Do you see? Do you understand? You ought to explain to, uh, to your children and to other children when opportunity arises that, you know what? God is able to keep you and keep you faithful. Amen. And not you, won't, you don't have to go out and live a life like that. God will keep you, and he'll bless you, and he'll take care of you if you depend on him. Amen. That testimony is just as important as being saved from a, a life of wickedness. We're all saved from wickedness. We're saved from ourselves, right? But the point is, is that, uh, you know, my testimony is vastly different than some of yours. My testimony is going to be vastly different than Rachel Bicey's, right? It's going to be a lot different, and I thank God for that, uh, that, that, there are people that God raised up and he kept. There's a vast difference in those two. But you know what? In a body, you need both testimonies. You need the testimonies of those that were saved at a young age that God dealt with. And they didn't have to live like that. They didn't have to. So our children know, you know what? You don't have to be a prodigal. You don't have to go out and ruin your life. You don't have to teeter on the edge of hell and destruction. You can live a life for God, and you can start at a young age. That's what, we, that's what I want for everyone here. I don't, honestly, I don't want anybody here having a testimony like me. I'm preaching to you so you don't have that. You young people, that you're saved young. And you don't go anywhere, and you serve God, and you're faithful, and you don't have all the sorrow that I have. <laughs> Even as a child of God, all the sorrow and pain and, and of, a, of a life that was wasted in, for the first 25 years anyway. Right? I don't, want, I don't want our children to have that. It's important that they hear a testimony, that they know of a testimony like that. They know of a testimony like Brother Andrew, right? Who got saved in his teens but went to church his whole life, right? Or most of your life as you're young. It's important that they know Brother Andrew's testimony, right? That he didn't go live like hell, that he didn't live, live like that, right? It's important they know a testimony like Garrett growing up in, in church, right? It's important that they, that these, that you don't have to go and live like that. You don't have to. Those testimonies are more impressive to me in that sense. I thank God for the one he gave me, and I'm glad he saved me, and I'm thankful for it. But I don't, I don't want you to have that. I don't want you to have what I... I don't glamorize it. I'm not, I'm not preaching it to glamorize it. I want you to be that person. I want you to be like them. I want you to never leave. Amen. I want you to grow up like that. That's why, I'm, that's why my life is given for it. So that to see you grow up like that and never go live the life I lived ever. Amen. That's the goal. Anyway, you should remember what you've been, right? And compare it with what you are now so you can be thankful to God. Note this, that converted sinners ought frequently to reflect upon the sinfulness and misery of the state they were in by nature. You and I ought to reflect greatly on how miserable our, our life was as lost people and how thankful we are for what God has done in our hearts. You ought to, there ought to be that thankfulness and that reflection on that. Men ought to hear. You know why? You, what, in essence, what we preach when we go out and preach, we're preaching our testimony. We're preaching what Christ has done in our hearts. That's what we're preaching when we warn men and we tell them. The design of this evidently is to excite a sense of gratitude in their hearts for that mercy 
which had called them from the errors and sins of their former lives to the privileges of Christians. It is a good thing for Christians to remember what they were. No faculty of the mind can be better employed to produce humility, repentance, gratitude, and love than the memory. It is well to recall the recollection of our former sins, to dwell upon our hardness of heart, our alienation, and our unbelief, and to remember our wanderings and our guilt until the heart be affected and we are made to feel. The converted Ephesians had much guilt to re recollect and to mourn over in their former life. And so we have all converted to the Christian faith and been saved. Uh, we are not, there's no glory in our former lives, right? We think about the failures and the things that we have, but Paul thought about that. But then what did he do? He said, I pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend it, but this one thing I do. That's what he did. He said, this is one thing I do. I reach forth. I'm reaching forward. I'm always reaching forward. I'm always reaching forward. I started thinking about uh, today and yesterday, the different projects. You know, Brother Andrew and I, we're going to be working this weekend on the, on the Coliseum. Uh, the, the Pearsons are working on a geocentricity. We have all kinds of other things that we're going to be working on. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that this time of winter is coming, not because I like cold, because I hate it, but, uh, <laughs> but because it gives me the opportunity, though, to to work on these things and us to work on these things, all of us, and to be productive and to see the grace of God and to see God bless that and, and, and reach people for Christ. Amen. That's, that's, what, that's what we're doing this for. That's what we do what we do. Why we do it. Amen. One person said it this way, first the Lord bids the church to remember what they once were when in a state of unawakened nature and dead in trespasses and sins. This church at Ephesus, Paul reminds them, were Gentiles, not as a nation only, for in this sense, they were Gentiles still. But, then, but when without Christ and strangers to the covenants of promise, in short, as far as remote from any apprehension of the nature and being of God as the brute that perisheth. Robert Hawker, he said this, he said, Reader, pause over this account. Nothing serves more to magnify the riches of God's grace than when the Lord displays it on such characters as us. Amen. <laughs> and may not you and I take to ourselves in the recollection of the days of our unregeneracy what Paul once said to the Corinthian church when speaking of the same things, and such said he said were some of you, and oh how blessed it if, if, uh, if to us be said what followed, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Reader, let you and I take to ourselves what is commanded. It will always be profitable to remember the wormwood and the gall of a state of unregenerated nature, to look to the rock whence we were hewn and to the hole of the pit whence we were digged out of. Amen. What does it do for us? Number one, it tends to deepen the humility of saints as well as to increase their godly sorrow for sin. It, when you remember what Jesus saved you from, it humbles you. You start to remember, well, you know what? I, man, I did some pretty bad things too. Sometimes you and I, if we don't remember what God saved us from, we start to think we're better than other people. Right? We start to think, well, they must be, on, be beyond salvation. Like they can't be saved. Why? Well, because, I mean, look how bad they are. And Paul reminds the Corinthians when he says, hey, you know, you separate from these people, such as were some of you, right? He said, you don't have anything to do with these. But he said, don't you forget, such as were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified. Don't you forget what God saved you from. That way you don't look at those people and think they're hopeless. Like I said, over and over again, and you remember this one thing. And I told Jacob this same thing. I said, you remember this one thing? We plow in hope. That's what we plow in. I don't plow to fail. I plow in hope. I believe in the power of God. I've lived the power of God. I've seen God raise men from the dead. I know what he can do. And I believe it. And I don't, I, I, I'm not wasting my time preaching. I don't ever waste my time. Man, I was sitting out in that deer stand and I was praying and doing all this stuff. And I was like, man. I hate to be out here. I feel like I'm wasting time. And I was reminded, well, you're praying. You ain't wasting nothing. Right? I ain't wasting nothing. I don't waste my time when I serve the Lord. It's not a waste of time. Right? It's not. 
And you better remember that I plow in hope. When I pastor this church and I see things go on, I see failures, I see problems, I see things. I don't, I, I don't think, well, they're not ever going to make it. I don't think that. I don't look at anybody and think that. I hope to the end. <laughs> Even as they're walking out the door, I still hope to the end. Well, did what I could do. <laughs> right? I warned them. I gave them everything I had. I warned them. But it tends to deepen our humility as well as to increase their godly sorrow for sin. Number two, it tends to make us grateful for our mercies and to make us magnify the greatness and the freeness of God's divine love. Where sin did much abound, we have found that grace did much more abound. Amen? It, it, it excites gratefulness in us. And I'll tell you what, sometimes we're very ungrateful people. And I'm going to tell you why. You forget what God saved you from. You forget. You forget the goodness of God in the land of the living. You forget the goodness of God to pull you out of the hell you were in. You forget the goodness of God to put you in a church like this. And I ain't say, I'm going to say that twice to you. You forget the goodness of God to put you in a church like this. I mean that. There are people that would love to have a church like this. And I'm not bragging on me. It's God's church. He's the one that did it. But the point is, is that they would be. And if you don't, if you have a problem with that statement I just made, maybe you have an ungrateful heart. Maybe, maybe you got to be out in the wilderness for a while and suffer a little bit in the wilderness and figure it out. Right. Amen. Maybe you got to be to figure out and to be grateful for what God has given you. There ain't nothing worse than a bunch of ungrateful children. You set them at the table, you feed them food, and they turn their nose up to it. Don't that make you mad, dad or mom, when you do that? Well, what do you think God does when he looks down at you and he sees you do the same thing, turning your nose up to the goodness of God, what he's given you? Come ungrateful. Shows out in your attitude, how you treat others. You're just not grateful. You don't live a life of gratefulness and thankfulness to God for his goodness. Amen. Proper reflection will teach you to be grateful for what God has done. And not to, not to say, woe is me, and, and put your head down all the time and act like your life's the worst thing in the world. Really, you ain't got nothing to be thankful for, huh? Hmm. Well, you ain't got cancer yet. Right? You ain't dead yet. Nobody's chopping your leg off yet. You can read your Bible without some SS soldiers kicking your door in and shooting your brains out. You can meet in an assembly uh, tonight of a church and ain't nobody kicking your door in, getting ready to kill all your children, throwing your children off the top of mountains like happened to the Waldensies bashing their brains against rocks because you didn't take them to infant baptism. Right? I don't know. Well, I got this problem. Yeah, I guess you do. It's called ungratefulness. Right? Because if we truly believe God, then we believe that all things are possible through Christ. Right? So whether it's, man, I'm facing this financial thing. Yeah, I know, but God will take care of you. If you trust him and you work hard and you do things God wants, he'll take care of you. I'm facing this, this trouble here and this trouble here and this. Yeah, I know, but God will take care of you. You believe it, don't you? Right? My life is so hard, is it? So you got nothing to be thankful for? People are very, you know what? Here's the thing. The reason why people uh, uh, can get discouraged sometimes and stay in that, that kind of a funky mood, the reason why they can is because they don't ever thank God for anything. They're not being thankful. They're not looking around and seeing all the blessings that they have and how life could be a whole lot worse. Man, it could be a whole lot worse. Instead of looking for something to complain about, why don't you look for something to be grateful for? Amen. How about you do that? How about you actually change? And by the way, that takes work because some of your brains are, are bent on negative 24-7. Now, it might be because you put too much junk in your brain, and that won't help either. But sometimes it's a, it, it's a bent the way the, 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 the mind works. I understand what a negativity bias is, and I understand how it works, believe me. And you have to fight it. 
But instead of when your mind starts going into what's negative, why don't you just think about something to praise God for and to be grateful for? Why don't you do that? Instead of looking for something to complain about. It isn't hard to do that. You know what shows you're spiritually walking with God? Is when you actually do something to praise God for. You actually look for something to praise God about and not something just to be down about. Really? Because the first thing people hear from you shouldn't be complaints. My goodness, if you, live, if you and I live our lives where the first thing that comes out of our mouth we're complaining about something, I think we need to change that, don't you? I think it needs to be, I think the first thing people need to be, be, see that we're thankful people, that we're actually grateful for what God has given us. Right? I, I, I mean it, but if you don't reflect on what you were saved from and how, how good your life is now in Christ, can you say that my life is good in Christ? Can you say that or no? Do you have a hard time saying that tonight? Do you have a hard time saying whatever state I am therewith to be content? I know both how to abase and how to abound. Maybe you don't know how to abase, so God's going to teach you. You know how you learn how to abase? You get abased. That's how you learn how to abase. That's how you learn. And sometimes we have to learn to do without. Sometimes God teaches us how to handle a no. Sometimes he teaches us how to handle no. And to, and to work in us patience and to teach us how to, how to handle no. When we're told no. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to be a Christian when everything's going great and you have all the money that you need and you have all the things that you have and everything else. It's a lot harder when things are bent against you and you have all kinds of trials and all kinds of uh, inner tor- turmoil and, and, and inner thing. And, and, you, and that's, when you have to sh- that's when you have to walk with God. But it starts by having gratefulness in our hearts. We magnify the greatness and the freeness of God's divine love that we focus on that. Number three, it tends to inspire us with a stronger love for Christ who has placed us, who has placed us so high in heavenly places. You know, the woman in the gospel loved much when she remembered how much she was forgiven. People looked at her and was like, man, I mean, don't you think she's kind of laying it on thick? They're looking at her and like, man, I mean, she's kind of, I mean. Jesus said, well, she loves much because she was forgiven much. And the Apostle Paul was the same way, though, wasn't he? He said, he said, I labored more abundantly than they all. Why did he say that? Because of what he had done in his life. And he killed the saints of the Lord and he drug them in and he had men and women and he hailed them to the chief priests and they killed them. And he did all that and he was like, and, and when he met the Lord, God changed him. I mean, Paul's whole ministry was about repentance and faith in Christ. Paul was going the opposite way and Jesus came in, shined the light, and man, he went right towards it. Didn't he? What happened was that? That was repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I came to turn men. He said, I'm sending Paul to turn men from darkness to light. Amen. And that's what he did. That's what he did in his ministry, right? He's shown that light. That's exactly what Jesus said he was sent for. But he forgave much. So Paul said, you know what? I've been forgiven much. So I'm going to do much. For his gratefulness. By the way, when you understand, and, and I'm not here to talk about that woman, but 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 when you when you when you think about that woman, also remember, like for a man, we could never imagine doing that. What a man never did, it a woman did. Because of the type of creature that a woman is, it's totally in her nature to do exactly what she did. Do you understand that? Like for a man, for me, it's like, yeah, that's just weird. Like, I'm being honest, like, it's just, it's just, it's just like, and, and I thought about that and I looked at, but if you look at the difference in the sexes, it makes perfect sense. That's how God designed woman. That was her worship towards God in that unique way that, 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 that she did that, right? And it was, that's, that's a woman though, right? That's, that's how a woman is. 
and that was her expressing that and that's it totally fits with the design of being a woman it, it just really does so I thought that was interesting I thought about that before number four it tends to quicken us to greater zeal and activity in the Lord's service when we have a proper remembrance of what we were saved from and we look back on that it quickens us to greater zeal and activity it's interesting when um, when in back in 2017 and 18 when I when I went through that that I don't know, three or four years of depression, however long it was. I think it was like three years a total. And then I still had some, I will always have some of the other things that go along with it, PTSD stuff and, and um, uh, anxiety and stuff that, that happens. Th those are always there. But I had like a triple whammy there. I had depression, which sunk me. And then I had the anxiety, which was kind of weird. So you're depressed at one state and you're anxious at the other, which was really a weird thing. Um, and then, and then uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, triggering things that just like, and then there it goes, right? So all those things at, at once uh, happening, one of the things that as the Lord dealt with me, one of the things that I, God told me, you're going to keep serving me, you, you keep serving me. And what, what came out of that, it was a greater zeal and a greater activity for the Lord's service. I do more now than I did then, than I ever did before. And that's God's grace, but that's, that's what happens. That's what God does. You know, we think sadly of our lost time in the service of sin and are led to now work with increased energy for the cause of our Savior. I mean, I don't have any time to waste. God didn't let me skip a beat with depression. <laughs> it's like... I mean, I, I read after those old old men of God up there. I started reading all those books, and everything. And the one thing they, the one thing that stuck out with me, with all of it, the one of the one of the things that they said, "Oh, don't stop. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't stop working. Don't stop serving the Lord. Don't stop being faithful. Don't back off of anything. Continue on and be faithful to the Lord. Whatever you do, do not stop." Do not turn your back. Do not slow down. Do not quit. So one thing Pastor Hoggard said to me. He grabbed me by the head. He put his arms around me and he said, whatever you do, brother, don't quit. Don't quit. I talked to him a few years ago. He was going through some things. I said, whatever you do, brother, don't quit. I reminded him of that. Whatever you do, brother, do not quit. Don't you quit. Don't you give up. You keep moving. You got to walk through that dark valley. You got to keep walking. You can't sit in the dark. You got to move. Anyway, so um, number five. Man, I got through the introduction, so this is good. This is, this is all the introduction. It's... I don't get overtime on Wednesdays, so I got to hurry up. I... It's in my contract. I don't, I, don't, I don't get double time or time and a half on Johnny. On, on, I don't. It just doesn't work that way. Double time of zero is zero. So, I mean, it just doesn't work that way. It works out good for you, but, you know. <laughs> anyway, number five, it tends to make us more hopeful of the conversion of others who are now what we once were as sinners. This remembrance of our past condition is not to be a rueful, self-accusing thing that will kill the hope in the heart. It's not, if you're looking back in that way, you're not controlling your thoughts biblically. You're not walking in the spirit and you're not applying the mind of Christ to it. What do I mean by that? Well, your logic is wrong. You're thinking illogically. You're not thinking scripturally. You're to put every thought of the obedience of Jesus Christ, right? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. What does that mean? If your thought is against what God said in his word, then you need to throw it out. So if you're allowing thoughts that come in that are against the knowledge of God, this is the doctrines of the scriptures right here, what the Bible says. If you're allowing that thought to run your mind and control it, you got to cast it down. That's not the mind of Christ. And everything has to come unto obedience and subjection to Christ. Even my thought process. I'm not allowed to dwell on thoughts that are against the Bible. That are against what I'm being taught in the scriptures. 
So even when it's a, a case of trying to, of self-condemnation, I'm not allowed to do that. My gospel memory is supposed to be, it, my gospel remembrances are supposed to be according to Jesus, according to what he said in his word. I'm not allowed to, to, to think on those thoughts and to continue in those woeful and baneful thoughts, right, of things, self-accusing thing that kills hope in the heart, but rather that which leads onward to a higher joy and a more complete consecration to the Lord's work. I'm supposed to think on those things, right? That's, isn't that what the scripture tells us, right? Paul talks about that, right? He, he tells us, and, and he tells us and he warns us in, in the word of God what we're to think on, right? Philippians 4. We'll finish with this. We're not going to get to the rest of my outline. That's okay. We'll pick it up next week. This was necessary. Amen. It was necessary. And it gives us a lot of directions. And uh, I'm, I'm going to read... Uh, I'm going to read uh, the first... Uh, First uh, 10 verses here to you. Uh, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudeus and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with the other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I said it twice right? Rejoice in the Lord. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer, that careful for nothing means not to worry. You're not to have worries. You're not to worry your mind. You're not to, you're not to be anxious in thought. You're not to worry. It's a sin. You're to pray. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and what? Minds. Through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, this is the mind of Christ, is what he's telling you to do. This is, if it's not this, and it becomes uh, completely negative, and it becomes it kills your joy, and it doesn't. You're not thinking right. Your thinking is wrong, and you're not to think that way. Why? Because God doesn't want you to. God never leaves His children to think hopeless. It's not God that does that. God doesn't lead you to be hopeless. You lead you to be hopeless. Satan will tempt you into hopelessness. But God doesn't lead you to hopelessness. It's nowhere in the Bible where God tells his saints to be hopeless. Don't believe God. He never says that. But your thinker, when it ain't working right, or when you're going through certain things in your life, it'll be wrong. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, that means that if I'm thinking something in my mind that's not biblically, doctrinally true, like that this sin, I must not be saved because of this sin, or I must be this because of this sin, or this sin God can't forgive, or this sin is so bad that it must be this way. Well, that's not, that's not true. Why are you thinking it? Right? It's not true. I've done it before. I've thought, th I've allowed things like that in my mind and heart and to discourage me and to depress me and to catch me. And then I said, then I, you know, look at it. Would I preach that to you? No way. Would you preach it to me? No way. But you'll hide it in your heart and you'll allow it to roll around in your mind, but you don't really believe that. Then I asked the person, do you really believe that? No, I don't believe that. Well, then quit thinking it then. Quit focusing on that. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, 
Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Amen. That's God's instructions. That's a proper gospel remembrance. That's the way you're supposed to properly look back. That gives God the glory and it makes most usefulness out of your mind and heart and, and propels you forward to serve the Lord and to be faithful to God. Father, Lord, we thank you for your words. Thank you for the truth. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Ghost of God. Thank you for bearing witness in this sermon and the truth of it all. And thank you for your grace to sinners to save them. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving me out of a life of hell. Thank you for all you've given me, Lord, eternal life and all this too. God, help us to be grateful people. Forgive us, Lord, for our complaining, our murmuring, our discouragements. Help the feeble-minded. Help us to help the feeble-minded and support the weak. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.